where the Apostle Paul says, <clears throat> Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. Oh, help us to understand it. Help us to take it in. Open our minds, open our eyes, open our hearts to receive the word of the cross. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Those were the words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, modern day Greece. And those were the words that framed the series that I bring to a close today called Why Jesus Died. When I introduced this series to us, I said that I wanted the, the preaching of the cross to get some of us off the fence and for it to create white hot love for Jesus in some of our hearts and for it to get some of you unstuck out of some sin that seems to hold you in your life right now. But as we've made our way through this series on the cross, we've seen that actually the cross is the key to the whole Christian life. It's not just the message to get you forgiven. 
or to get you fired up or to get you free again. It's the message you need for every day and in every season of your life. On week one, we saw that Jesus died to save sinners. And since Jesus was successful in saving sinners, we can live our lives with blessed assurance. So that even when there's failure in us and turbulence in our lives, we can sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in his blood. On week two, we saw that Jesus died to reconcile all things to God so that now when we sit at home after a, a long day, turn on the news and, and see earthquakes and dictators and presidents indicted of some shameful accusation, we can know things won't always be this way. Jesus paid the price for a new heaven and a new earth one where righteousness dwells, and since Jesus died for me, that's my home. I'm just passing through. On week three, we saw that Jesus died to present us holy before God. And that since Jesus bore the judgment that was coming our way, the sunshine of heaven is already on our faces. And that puts all the storms of life into perspective. And then on week four, last Sunday morning, we saw that Jesus died to disarm demonic powers. So that now, though Satan should buffet and trial should come, though fiery darts fall in our heads like showers of meteors, we can say, it is well. Why? Because my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to his cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And this week, if God wills, we're going to see that Jesus died to demonstrate the love of God. Jesus died to demonstrate the love of God that even amid the blood and the horror of the first Good Friday, God's love shines for all to see. And knowing that love for you is obviously the key to living the Christian life. It's the petrol in the car. It's the battery in the phone. It's the engine in the airplane. Paul, our author today, prayed that the Ephesian church, and I sometimes pray that this Hoylakian church too, would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, that's a passage knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. And if you want that prayer to be answered in your life, then you need to come with me today to Calvary. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you need to come with me to Calvary too. Because if you were to see, even for 0.25 seconds, God's love for you at the cross, it would change your past, present, 
and future forever. You know, a pastor told this story of a time that a teenager came to see him in his study. She wore, he, he writes, an oversized turtleneck with sleeves that went down almost completely over her hands. After a time of gentle questions and listening, the conversation turned to, to cutting. And she said that when she was upset with herself or upset over the offenses of other people, she cut herself. It seemed to relieve the tension. Cleaning up from the bloody wounds distracted her from the other problems. She pulled up her sleeve and showed me her arm. I don't think I will ever forget the sight. That image stayed in my mind for days and was painful every time I recalled it. What could I do? All I really knew about biblical counseling was to pray for people and to tell them about the gospel. I pulled out a pad of paper and drew out for the young woman a diagram of the gospel. I agreed with her that blood can indeed solve problems, but pointed out that the blood did not have to be her own, and that the cutting had already been done on her behalf. The Spirit brought illumination, and she prayed to accept the gospel. Whoever you are today, and wherever you are in life, the love of God at the cross of Calvary can make all things new for you. Jesus died to demonstrate God's love. We're going to see, first of all, when God demonstrated God's love. When God demonstrated, when God demonstrated his love. Listen very carefully again to the words Mark read earlier from Romans 5, 6 to 8. Paul writes, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When did God demonstrate his love for us? God demonstrated his love for us when we were at our worst. When we were weak, when we were ungodly, when we were still sinners. That's when God demonstrated his love toward us. When the country that we know today as the United States was fighting us for its independence, there was a preacher called Peter Miller. And a few doors down from Peter Miller was a man who hated him and who hated his faith. He wasn't only verbally abusive, he was also physically abusive and violent as well. But one day, this enemy of Miller's was found to be guilty of treason. And so he was sentenced to death by hanging. Miller, the pastor, heard about it, and he walked 60 miles to appear an appeal before George Washington himself. Let me read to you what happened next. The general, Washington, listened to the minister's earnest plea, but told him he didn't feel he should pardon his friend. My friend, answered Miller. He's not my friend. In fact, he's my worst living enemy. 
What? said Washington. You've walked 60 miles to save the life of your enemy. That, in my judgment, puts the matter in a different light. I will grant your request. With pardon in hand, Miller hastened to the place where his neighbor was to be executed and arrived just as the prisoner was walking to the scaffold. When the traitor saw Miller, he exclaimed, Old Peter Miller has come to have his revenge by watching me hang. But he was astonished as he watched the minister step out of the crowd and produce the pardon which spared his life. That is, friends, a faint shadow of what we remember on Good Friday. Because on Good Friday, God showed his love for us when we were his enemies. His enemies. When we were, verse 6, weak, that is, helpless and powerless in view of our guilt before God. And when we were, verse 6 again, ungodly. And when we were, verse 8, sinners. God showed his love for us when we did not want to understand his truth. And when we weren't looking for God. And when we had turned aside and become worthless. And when our throats were open graves and our tongues used to deceive. When the venom of asps was under our lips and when curses and bitterness poured from our mouths. When we created ruin and misery and had forsaken the way of peace. When we had no fear of God in our eyes and when God's noose was around our necks. That was when God showed his love for us. And without God enabling us to understand this and grasp this, we won't understand or grasp it at all because this is not the way that love works in our world. By nature, we're like mirrors. We reflect what is shown to us. And so if hatred is shown to us, hatred is what we reflect. If love is what is shown to us, love is what we reflect. But the good news, friends, is this. God isn't like us. And God can love his weak, ungodly, sinful enemies because God is love. God is not a mirror. God is love. And so he doesn't need our good deeds. He doesn't need our good behavior. He doesn't need our obedience to love us. He loves us because God is love. Theologians call this the aseity of God. It means God is self-contained. It means God needs nothing and no one from the outside to be who he is. He is who he is without us. He is who he is despite us. And so he can love us because God is love. What did Jesus accuse the religious leaders of his day of? He said, you do not have the love of God in your hearts. Why? Because they rejected sinners. That comes naturally. Jesus received sinners. Because Jesus had, Jesus has the love of God in his heart. The father took the prodigal son home because father was in his DNA. And God can love weak, ungodly, sinful enemies because he is love.
And so to the one who is exhausted today by the mess that your sin has made, by the mess perhaps that the sin of others has caused in your life, listen to me, there is nothing you can do to change the nature or the being or the character of God. He is love with or without you. He is love all by himself. And therefore he can love you. And do you honestly think that your 10, 20, 30 years of backsliding could have any power over the nature of God at all? No, God himself says this, I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed. And that before the world was fashioned, God was love. And when the new heavens and the new earth are ushered in, God will be love. And today on the 7th of April, 2023, God is love. And therefore he is love toward you right here and right now. And when you are at your worst, God demonstrated the riches of his love toward us. Talk to our teenagers for a moment here today. Maybe you're still on the fence because you think to yourself, my friends at school love me. And the idea of jeopardizing my friendship with them in order to follow Jesus just seems a risk too far. But with respect to your friends, allow me to say this. Your friends don't love you like this. Because if you were to treat them like an enemy for long enough, soon enough they would treat you like their enemy. And if you were to offend them long enough, soon enough they would begin to offend you. But the Bible says here that God showed his love towards us when we were weak, ungodly, sinful enemies because that's just who God is. All of the time, come off the fence and fall into his arms at the cross. And that's what we see second, how God demonstrated his love. Look at verse eight again, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How did God show his love for us? By having his son die on the cross of Calvary. Now, how does that actually work? Why does his son dying on the cross of Calvary demonstrate God's love at all? Well, let me ask you this question. How do you measure love? How do we measure love? Well, here's the answer. We measure love by sacrifice. Love is measured by sacrifice. Men, think back to the moment you proposed to your now wife. Imagine for a moment you got down on one knee and then pulled out of your pocket a packet of Haribo and found one of the Haribo rings and offered that to her. How would she feel? Or, or think about the time she, she called you and told you she was in labor and having contractions. Imagine for a moment if you said to her on the phone, sweetheart, the traffic is really bad right now. Uh, 
listen, you have the baby in hospital, and I'll be waiting for you at home with a cup of tea. How, how would she be feeling about that? I mean, after she murdered you, of course. Um, or, or if, imagine for your 20th anniversary, you told your wife, sweetheart, get dressed up, we're going to go out for a meal tonight, and then you proceeded to take her to the Upton Bypass McDonald's drive through How would she, how would she, how would that make her feel? But if before you proposed, if when you proposed, you, and before you had money, you pulled out of your pocket a ring with a diamond on it so big that you wondered whether she'd be able to lift up her arm, and she said to you, how in the world did you afford that? And you said to her, well, because I sold the violin that's been in my family for five generations. How would that make her feel? And if on the 20th anniversary, you had to put together an itinerary because you had planned so many ways in which you could spoil her, how would that make her feel? Love is measured by sacrifice. And what did God sacrifice for us? God sacrificed his son for us. God sacrificed the Lord Jesus Christ for us. The one who had no beginning, but had been eternally with the Father. The, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the, the Prince of Peace. He gave him up to be born of a teenager. And to live his life hearing the rumors and the whispers that, that went along with that. He gave him up to be placed in a feeding trough for animals. And to take on a body with no form or majesty or appearance that we should be attracted to him. He gave him up to a life of being despised and rejected. A man of sorrow is acquainted with grief. To have nowhere to lay his head. To know grinding poverty. To be misunderstood, misrepresented, mistreated. And to be abandoned by friends and falsely accused and spat upon and scourged and exhausted and crucified and made sin and crushed under the judgment of God. So that if love is measured by sacrifice, then God's love for you is immeasurable because Jesus Christ is priceless. All the glory in heaven on an earth. And God gave him up so that we would have a place at his table. A share in his kingdom. Keys to heaven. His own last name. Adoption into his own family. Filled with the Holy Spirit. The world to come. And best of all, God himself. This is love upon love. Favor upon favor. Mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace, upon grace upon grace. And you might be sat there thinking to yourself today, Hugh, amen, amen, amen to all of this. But I knew all of this when I walked in to this place today. What does all of this mean for my life today? And to answer that question, we have to remember where our verses are in Romans 
chapter 5. Because in the verse before, Paul says that we can hope in God amid trials because God has shown his love to us. He poured it into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But not only did he pour it into our hearts, he showed to us his love as well. Which means since God has proven his love for us, we can hang in there amid our trials. And we can put one foot in front of the other. And we can lift up our heads. Because we know since he loves us, we are not defeated but we are victors in His love. And we can say, if God is for us, who can be against us? So that even when life is beating the snot out of us, and even when the child runs away, and when the spouse leaves, and when the money runs out, and when the diagnosis is bad, and when everyone is against you, and everything is against you, And when you're drowning in disappointment and when your anxiety is through the roof and when fear has its chokehold around your neck, you can run to the cross and you can say, God signed my pardon papers in the blood of his son. I am loved. I will make it through it. I will persevere. I will get to the other side. I have hope. Michael opened his sermon, didn't he, on Sunday night with reference to the most recent shooting in America, and he said that he felt this one so much more deeply because it was against our people. It was against our brothers and sister. And the pastor lost his his nine-year-old daughter, didn't he, in that shooting. And as Michael made reference to that, I was sat there to myself thinking, I'm a pastor, and my daughter is going to turn nine this year. How, 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 how would I get through something like that. Well, you do not go spouting off advice in moments like that. You shut your mouth and you weep with those who weep. You mourn with those who mourn. But as I sat and listened, I wondered whether in time that pastor will eventually be comforted in the knowledge that God knows exactly how he feels. Because God watched as they pounded nails through the wrists and feet of his son. Only in this case, God gave him up for us. God orchestrated, predestined the whole thing to demonstrate his love for you and for me. And when that dawns on you, that you are loved by the ocean load, you will make it through the darkest night and the bleakest day. In fact, church, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so to those of you who feel like you struggle to be assured of all of this, friend, you must learn to let your thinking inform your feeling. The reality is our emotions sometimes have a mind of their own, don't they? They have a will of their own as well. And what that means is that 
We need to train our emotions to yield to our thoughts about the truth. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was once speaking on Psalm 42 where the writer says to himself, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And Lloyd-Jones said this, he says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? He says, take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc., etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. But this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down on my soul, he thinks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. And what should we speak to ourselves when life is crushing us and discouraging us? Well, here is just a suggestion. Self, remember, while I was still weak, at the right time, Christ died for me. Maybe someone out there, some place, somehow might die for a righteous person or for a good person. But God showed his love for me in this. That while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. You yield your emotions to that truth. And fear will turn to courage Guilt will turn to innocence and despair will turn to hope. And perhaps you want to do that for the very first time today. You came into this place a non-Christian. We pray you'll leave a Christian. And if that would be true for you, you must only turn and trust Turn from sin, trust in the one who loved you and gave himself for you and all things will be made new in your life. Amen. Amen. Amen.